Proverbs chapter 26. We are uh, going to skip around a little bit through the chapter here, just uh, about six or seven verses, but I can read the whole chapter. But tonight, uh, the message really uh, came to me through the uses of the word conceit in the chapter. And how many of you read your Bible? Maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you read your Bible and you've read a word so many times that you kind of just assume you know what it means. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? And then you go back and you look it up and you, and you realize, I didn't realize what that meant. And so that's what happened to me in this chapter. I went back and kind of studied it out. And uh, the Bible is unsearchable. It's amazing uh, uh, how deep it can go if you want to do it. So Proverbs chapter number 26, let's start in verse four. Let's read it together. Ready to begin. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest, look at verse five, read it with me. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now skip down to verse 11. Uh, some of you kids are going to love this verse. Ready to begin. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his fault. How many of you as kids growing up, that was the first proverb you remembered? I was. <laughs> Verse 12. Let's read it with me. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Now I'm going to read verse 13, 14, and 15. The Bible says, the slothful man saith, there's a lion in the way. There's a lion in the streets. And as, as the door turneth upon its hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. Read verse 16 with me. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Here in chapter 26, we find the word conceit three, three different times. At first glance, the verses are a little hard to fully understand. But if you understand the definition of the word conceit, it makes the verses really, uh, really pop out at you. So the definition of the word conceit or conceited is someone, it describes someone who is overly flattering in their opinion of themselves, or they have a vain or too high of a conception of their own person or their accomplishments. When we look at these three words and the three verses, uh, with uh, within these words here, the word conceit. If you look at the root word for the word conceited in the Hebrew, interestingly, the word, the root word for it is I. In other words, what you see. And so if you read the word, the verses in that context, listen to, listen how it changes the verse a little bit in your mind. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Versus conceit, he's wise in his own eyes. Verse 12, see a man who is wise in his own eyes. There is more hope of a fool than of him. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men that can render a reason. In other words, the level of foolishness sometimes in our life is directly related to how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves. The, the buzzword today is self-awareness. And the truth is, is that sometimes we're not as self-aware as we should be. If someone who is overly flattering about themselves or has a high opinion of themselves, it's not easy to be a good Christian that way. Amen. You heard about what the conceited man once said. He said, I used to be conceited, but I was able to get victory over that in my life. And now I'm perfect. We'll clearly see tonight that there's a danger, a danger to those who don't see who they are in the sight of God. And all God's people said, 
Amen. When we start to see who we are in the sight of God, it helps with this thing of being conceited. Amen. So let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help tonight uh, to help us not to become a conceited Christian. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Help us, Lord, to avoid this danger of being a conceited Christian. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We all know a conceited person when we meet them. Uh, Oftentimes, after talking to them, you might say something to yourself like, wow, that person was arrogant. That's a word often that we use. Or boy, she just thought she was the cat's meow, or he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. How many know what I'm talking about? When you meet a conceited person, generally you walk away from the conversation thinking, oh man, I'm glad I'm out of that conversation. We know what it means to meet somebody like that, but how do we keep from becoming someone like that? And how do we see it in our own lives and in our own hearts? Because the truth is all of us at one time or another have probably been conceited. And all God's people said, amen. I'm the most humblest person here. No, we've all been conceited, amen. And so how do we avoid this? How do we keep from becoming a conceited person? I think there's some answers that is found here in the, uh, am I not on? Thank you guys in the sound booth are waving at me, waving their arms like they just don't care. How's that guys? I'm on now. All right, good. Thank you. Oh, I can hear me now. Amen. That's a help and a blessing. By the way, for joining us live tonight, thank you for being on with us. We sure love you, miss you when you're not here, but thank you for joining us. So how do we avoid becoming a conceited person? How do we do that? Number one, if you're taking notes, we must acknowledge our shortcomings. Let's say that together. Ready? We must acknowledge our shortcomings. How many have shortcomings? Amen. We all do, but we have a hard time sometimes acknowledging those shortcomings. Look at verse four. Verse four and verse five, when you read them one after another, they almost seem like they're contradicting themselves, but they're not. Look at verse four. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And then verse five says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. You might read those two verses and say, what do you want me to do? I mean, do you want me to do the one or the other? It was the 19th hole in 1961 at the Masters Tournament. The great Arnold Palmer, how many have ever watched Arnold Palmer golf? How many drink Arnold Palmer's, amen? Almost can't say it, blah, 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 blah. But it was the Masters Tournament. The great Arnold Palmer had one, he was one stroke in the lead. He just made a very successful shot. He was on the green. He had a, a, an easy fairway shot. He had an easy tee shot. I mean, it was no problem. The Masters, the victory was only a few shots away. Here's what he said in an interview. He said this. He said, as I approached the ball, he said, I saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. The old friend motioned me over and stuck out his hand and said, congratulations. I took his hand and shook it. But as soon as I did, I knew I had lost my focus. On my next two shots, I hit the ball into the sand trap, then put it over the edge of the green. I missed the putt completely and lost the masters. He said, you don't forget a mistake like that. You just learn from it and determine that you'll never do it again. Mr. Palmer acknowledged his failure. He leaned into his failure. He recognized and acknowledged his mistakes. And that's what we need to do if we want to avoid becoming a conceited Christian. How many of you have ever argued with a two-year-old? How many have ever lost an argument with a two-year-old? Here's a hint for you. Every time you argue with a two-year-old, you lose. Amen. It's a futile argument. Why? Why? Because two-year-olds lack the cognitive capacity to understand logic. Therefore, arguing with them over the composition of the moon is a futile pursuit. 
Whatever they think is what they think. Arguing with them and getting down to their level is not going to help. They perceive truth, whatever they think, and the truth cannot be changed with attempts of facts. They don't understand facts. So you don't argue with a two-year-old. You just say, you better listen or you're in trouble. Amen. That being said, there are several things that we see that happened in these two verses, verse four and five, that we should take note of that conceited folks don't do. And these are things that we need to be careful not to do. Letter A, they don't listen. They don't listen. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. When you argue with the two-year-old and you sink to the two-year-old's level, you lose the argument. The moon's made out of cheese. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Nuh-uh. Yeah, huh? So when you're arguing with them at their level, you've already lost. And so what verse four is telling us is it's not, it's telling us not to stoop to the level of the fool and argue with them. Oftentimes we uh, argue with folks that uh, we walk away and nobody wins. How I many know what I'm talking about? When you stoop to the level of the fool to argue with them, that's what verse four is saying. It's saying, don't waste your time. Don't stoop to their level and argue with them. I remember a few years ago, maybe maybe about 10 years ago, actually now, I got into a Facebook argument with somebody. Anybody ever been in a Facebook argument? And a uh, huge waste of time, huge waste of time. And I, I, mean, I remember I was just like, I thought this was the biggest problem on the internet was this guy's opinion, you know, and I'm blasting him and he's blasting me. I'm waiting for him to answer because I got all the Bible verses. And, and, and what I was doing was I was stooping to the level of the fool. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's what this verse is saying. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. Don't become like the fool to prove your point. You don't need to do that. So what do we do? Well, just before we, before we move on to the next point, here's, a, here's a, a life hack for you, okay? A pro tip. Spend less time with conceited people. Amen? Spend less time with conceited people and focus your time on people who will listen. If you're in leadership, especially here tonight, you're, you're in some kind of leadership, uh, uh, some kind of business, don't waste your time uh, arguing with people that won't hear your argument. Spend time with people that will listen. Amen? Don't argue with people who don't listen. But also, don't be a person who doesn't listen. Amen? We ought to be able to listen. Uh, uh, I struggle with this. I know a lot of us do, but who I really struggle with this, uh, my, my, my mom used to say you have, or my dad, I think, used to say you have two ears and one mouth. Amen? So listen more than you talk. I mean, know what I'm talking about tonight, amen? And so they're like, yeah, pastor, stop talking. But anyway, so be a person who listens. Secondly, I see letter B here is they don't take correction. So they don't listen, but they also don't take correction. Verse five, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Again, these verses seem to be somewhat contradictory to themselves, but there's a lot of times in the Old Testament where this sort of language is found. It's a parallelism. Where, where, where it says one thing and then it says something else along the same lines. In verse four, it's stating, don't stoop to their level because they're not going to listen to you anyways. But verse, but verse five is stating that if you know the truth, it is your obligation to say the truth if, if it's in that context where you should say the truth. And oftentimes in our life, uh, we are faced with, with an argument or we're faced with a situation where we need to say the truth and we should say the truth. And all God's people said, don't stoop to the level of the argument, but say the truth. Speak the truth in love. And so the other side of the coin is just because a fool is argumentative doesn't mean that we always hold our peace. We say the truth. We just don't need to argue. All we need to do is state the facts. And the facts are what the Bible says. 
Amen. And so if you're in an argument with somebody, all you need to do is say what the Bible says and leave it at that. How many of you understand that the Bible has the answer? Have you ever been in the car with your family and you're driving down the road and you all are arguing about something like who's the richest man in the world or what's the biggest river, you know, and you're arguing about this and then somebody finally says, why don't we just Google it? We have Google now. Hey, we have Google, amen? Something way better than Google, amen? The Holy Spirit tracks you, but the Bible doesn't track you, amen? You'll get that later, if that's more. And so instead of arguing over ambiguous facts, state what the Bible says and leave it there. You say, well, I may not know what the Bible says. Then don't argue about it. Amen. I'm speaking to myself tonight because oftentimes people like to argue with pastors, believe it or not. Just say what the Bible says and leave it at that. Maybe you have family members or somebody at work who likes to cause problems and likes to kind of jab at you and and just respond with scripture and leave it at that. So the, the conceited person doesn't listen doesn't take correction. They don't want to hear it. They don't, they, they don't want to take correction. And so what, 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 how do we see that in our lives as Christians? We need to be careful to take correction when it comes our way. And all God's people said, when somebody corrects us, we ought to be able to take that. And so we avoid being a conceited person. And so number two here, how do we avoid being a conceited person? Number two, we must abandon our superiority. Look at verse 11. Now, how many of you grown up, seriously, this was like the first proverb you remember. For me, it was. I mean, seriously, Brother Tommy, thank you for admitting that. The first one I remember growing up, it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. What a descriptive picture. And then verse 12, we see Solomon goes on. He says, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more help. There's more hope of a fool than of him. Growing up, the metaphor of a dog returning to this pile of vomit was a pretty disgusting image in my mind. And to be honest, most of us that grew up in church, uh, we probably kind of went, uh, when we heard that. And it's an amazing, it's by the way, isn't it amazing how descriptive the Bible is? But the Bible describes a fool. Now listen, the Bible describes a fool who goes back to his folly, back to what he struggles with over and over again, like that dog. That's a pretty descriptive thing. And by the way, we all have our own piles of things that we go back to. And so the Bible describes that as a fool, somebody that goes back to that over and over again. Now picture this, Solomon is talking to his son and he's trying to really drive home this point about being conceited. And he's talking to his son and he says, son, he says, you see that dog over there that's doing what that gross thing over there? He says, that's like a fool who returns to uh, his fall. when he goes back to the things of foolishness, that's, that's like that dog over there. But then it's almost like he points over to the conceited person and says, but do you see that guy over there? He had, it's, it's better for him than that dog. It's, I mean, it's better for the dog than him, I mean. He, there's more hope for that dog than the conceited person. This is what he's saying. He says, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. Solomon drives this point home for his son. Don't be conceited. Don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, there's more hope for a guy who returns to his folly than someone who doesn't see their folly. Oftentimes we struggle with what's called a superiority complex. And a superiority complex is dysfunctional thinking. A conceited person thinks of themselves as much more important, superior, or smarter than everyone else. Have you ever met somebody like that? (laughs) Amen. By the way, you might be thinking to yourself, I am smarter than everyone else. Lord, help us. Amen. Here's the problem. Our flesh inside of us 
fights to be superior. Our flesh wants to be the smartest person in the room. That's our flesh. Our flesh wants to be the winner of the argument. Our flesh wants to, our flesh hates to be wrong. Our flesh doesn't want to be, doesn't want to take that second place. And so our flesh is constantly trying to put us on top and, and trying to, trying to uh, put us in the superior position. And so if we want to protect ourselves from becoming conceited, we must abandon our superiority and recognize that we're just sinners saved by grace. And all God's people said, that's all we are. We're just sinners saved by grace. Can I ask you a question? Does the Bible ever tell us to strive to be better than someone else? Does the Bible ever call us to win arguments? Does the Bible ever, uh, where's the chapter and verse that tells us to strive to be the greatest in the room? If anything, the Bible says the opposite. We're supposed to be the servants of all. We're supposed to humble ourselves. Philippians chapter number two, verse three, uh, says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but with lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. James chapter four, verse six, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Luke chapter 14 verse 11 for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted proverbs 22 4 by humility and fear of the lord are riches honor and life first peter chapter 5 verse 6 humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of god and he will exalt you in due time matthew 24 verse 13 uh, 23 verse 12 excuse me and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased and he that shall be humble himself shall be exalted Romans 12, verse 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every, among, every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Colossians 3, 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, if you're saved tonight, I said, if you're saved tonight, I said, if you're saved tonight, two hands, if you're saved tonight, amen. He said, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long suffering. John 3, 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. First Peter 5, 5, likewise, the younger submit yourselves to the elder. 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 I just hope that you're listening. Uh, Those that are younger submit yourselves to the elder. Some of you that are younger need to submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Ephesians 4.2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing. I have a lot more. The Bible tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly and to think humbly. And to esteem others better than ourselves. To avoid conceitedness is a biblical perspective. It's a biblical perspective. But our flesh fights us, doesn't it? Because we know that we're right. And we might be right. But all these verses tell us we need to be humble. Amen? Lowly, meek. And so we must first acknowledge our shortcomings. Boy, we have them. I have them. (laughs) Let me tell you. We must abandon our superiority And lastly tonight, we must abide in the Spirit. Abide in the Spirit. Look at verse 16 with me. Look at what it says. It says, The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Have you ever been in a room with seven guys trying to render a reason? (laughs) A person who is wise in their own eyes thinks 
And that's the operative word here, thinks that they're smarter than seven smart guys trying to figure out a problem. They think that their intellect is seven times the normal person. And so that's a pretty powerful statement. So what is our best defense against this superiority complex, the superiority feeling, this thinking that we have? Well, think about this. If our flesh fights for superiority, what fights against the flesh? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. So in other words, if we want to live a hum in humility and we want to have that kind of a spirit, then it's going to come from the Spirit of God. Because everybody in this room, naturally, naturally in our flesh, we think that we're right all the time. We think that we're superior all the time. And, 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 and we may, you might be right much of the time. But to have, that, uh, to have that humble spirit, to have that sweet spirit, well, I think about people in my life that have such a humble sweet spirit. I think about Mrs. Ward. Mrs. Ward's in Mexico right now visiting her family. And I don't know if she's watching or not, but isn't, isn't her humble spirit just refreshing? Just refreshing. And, and I talked to her for a few minutes. I feel convicted just talking to her. Uh, I think about ladies like Mrs. Ruiz, that humble spirit, and just other, other people in our church and that I've known over the years just have a sweet, humble spirit. I want to have a humble spirit like that. I want to have a sweet spirit like that. I don't want to come off as, as being conceited. I don't want to, I don't want to give the, somebody the impression that I, that I'm better than them or I know more than them. How many know what I'm talking about? I want to be the kind of Christian that others see Christ in me. I want them to see the humility of Christ in me. I don't want to come off being like, I know everything and I'm the one, I'm the, I'm the one that knows the show here and I'm the one that runs it. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have that spirit. And so I need to be submitted to the spirit. Humility or true humility is humility through the spirit of God. It must be rooted in the spirit of God, true humility. Otherwise, humility that's not rooted in the spirit of God is just another attempt of pride. So let me, let me give you an example of this. I am the most humble person in this room. I, I tried to be my humblest today. Tom thought he was more humble than me, but I showed him I was more humble than him. How many understand what I'm saying here? Humility isn't a competition. Humility is a work of the Spirit. It's not who can act more humble. True humility is a work of the Spirit of God. No humility is a result. No true humility is a result outside of the Holy Spirit of God controlling us. Let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter number five. We're almost done tonight. Galatians chapter number five. We're going to look at verse 22, and we're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit here. And I would readily admit to you, <laughs> I need to stay plugged into the Spirit of God in my life. Otherwise, I, boy, I tell you, sometimes I'll be on Facebook or I'll hear somebody talking and man, I just, you know, I think to myself, what in the world is going on in that person's brain? <laughs> you know, where are they at? And uh, I need the Holy Spirit of God in my life, amen, to help me to, to temper my tongue. Galatians chapter number five, look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, now notice these words here, Galatians 5, 22. Notice the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to these words. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is what's next? Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Look at verse 23. Meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the, of the, with the afflictions and lusts. 
If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of what? Vainglory. But again, provoking one another, envying one another. How many remember the story where Jesus is talking to his disciples and the disciples had a question? Who is going to be the greatest, Jesus, in the kingdom? Who is going to be the greatest? Isn't that our human condition? Who's going, to ha- who's going to be lieutenant in heaven? Who's going to be the sergeant in heaven? They wanted to know who, who was in the inner circle, who, who was on the, you know, who, who was in first place, so to speak. It's amazing, though, how the fruit of the Spirit are actually the opposite of conceit. When we abide in the Spirit, we produce the fruits of the Spirit. So think about yourself tonight for a minute. Here's a few questions to ask yourself. Do I find myself having to be right all the time? Do I find myself having to be right all the time? Now, how many of you tonight would readily admit we're not right all the time? Some of you aren't raising your hand, but anyway, that's all right. (laughs) We're not right all the time. We're right. If you're a Bible believer, you're right. Anything that comes out of this book and all God's people said, amen. And so a lot of things that you might believe are right. Yes, but we're not right all the time. I mean, if you like the giants, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with you. You know, I don't know. But do I find myself trying to be right, all, having to be right all the time? Do I feel like I'm intellectually superior than others? Do I give others in the room room to speak? Do I admit it when I'm wrong? Am I striving to abide in the spirit? Here's, a, here's a, another flip side of the coin that we can ask ourselves. Can I acknowledge when I make mistakes? And I think that's one of, our, one of the most difficult things for us to do is to admit it when we make a mistake and say, I'm sorry. I blew it. I had to say I was sorry the other day to my boys. I just got mad and I was grumpy and it was late night and I kind of barked at them and don't look at me like that. <laughs> I barked at my kids and, and the next morning I said, guys, I'm sorry. I was grumpy. I was tired. It's okay to say you're sorry. And all God's people said, amen. It's okay. Find yourself saying sorry a lot. Say, well, pastor, I'm not making that many mistakes. This is the problem. You don't realize you're making mistakes. Say you're sorry. Amen. I need to work on this in my life. Can I acknowledge when I make mistakes? Can I say I'm sorry? Do I allow others to speak into my life? Am I allowing someone else to talk into my life? Many times in my life, I'll, I'll have a, my dad or a, an older, older man in, my, in the church that pastor, and, and they'll say something and and, 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 you know, you ought to, the younger ought to be submissive to the elder. I said the younger ought to be submissive to the elder. Some of you aren't saying amen. That's a biblical principle. The younger ought to be submissive to the elder. And there's a, there's a problem in our culture where the younger people don't respect the older people. And we ought to have respect. You say, well, they don't, they don't know and they, they're not, whatever. That, that doesn't matter. We still honor them and respect them. Amen. And I feel some preaching, but I got to move. I'm almost done. Can I acknowledge my mistakes? Do I allow others to speak into my life? And then am I abiding in the spirit? Am I abiding in the spirit? How many would admit tonight that to be conceited is not a Christ-like character, characteristic? And how many would agree with me tonight that the world doesn't need more conceited Christians? Amen. So what do we need to do? And what do I need to do? Well, first tonight, we need to acknowledge our shortcomings. We all make mistakes. It's okay. We need to admit it and take responsibility and move on. Let's abandon our superiority. We're not better than others. Amen. Whatever we are is by the grace of God. And then lastly tonight, let's abide in the spirit. Let's allow the spirit of God to control us.
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight. We'll close.